Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's going on, automotive world? Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping. Today on the show, I have a guest joining me, Adam Ward. Uh, Adam's a friend of mine. He uh, worked for Identifix for nine years as a European specialist, uh, working, uh, you know, with the hotline when shops call in to diagnose problems. And he's currently uh, employed by Autel, uh, working in their product development. Um, and that's a couple of the things that we're going to be talking about today is, uh, you know, some of the behind the scenes stuff at Identifix and what's involved with uh, fixing cars over the phone. And then also some of the new things coming down the line at Autel. And they got some really cool stuff coming out. So um, and we talked about a few other things, too, but really enjoyed this talk uh, with Adam. So well, let's jump right in. I, I did a subframe in a at a Saturn once in my garage, believe it or not, it was yeah. rusted out bad. I, it was, I, I kind of, I, I kind of, uh, in retrospect, I'm not sure if, if I'm glad I did it or not. <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was a bit younger though. <laughs> well, that's, that's the thing. The the young days when you're doing this stuff in your driveway or mm-hmm. on the floor, in your on the garage, floor, in my garage, oh, in the man. winter with no heat and no insulation. <laughs> yeah. And I, I remember doing... subframing and I'm like, in like making like 200 bucks. And I remember questioning all my life choices at that point. You know, you're like, <laughs> it's tools yep. are ice cold. You're bitter. Yeah. It yep. was not fun. I, I remember wrestling in, um, um, I, I was doing a clutch but I was putting the manual transit transaxle back into some little infinity G 20 or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm trying to get, you know, the input shaft lined up and get the transaxle back uh-huh. in place. And I'm by myself laying on the ground and the thing slips and there's, there's a uh, gear oil that's oh. leaking all over me because <laughs> It just exactly. My thought is, what am I doing with my life? What, why did I not go to school to be like an IT guy or something? Yeah. <laughs> Your career choices may become highly questionable during those events. I've noticed, <laughs> right? <Yep>. I've, uh, <laughs> man, I feel you there, man. But I've done that, so many sketchy things on the side. Sometimes you just have to wonder. That's that's how you learn, though, to to say no to jobs when uh, friends and family ask you like, Oh yeah, sorry. I just don't have time for that one. <laughs> You're right. No, you, it's, it's those, it's those tough, tough, those, those tough choices that lead to the, no, I can't do that. And, and <laughs> yep. that's where I'm at now. Right. I'm, you know, I'll be 50 in a couple of days. So I'm definitely in the no camp when it comes to <laughs> pulling in transmissions on my back. <laughs> yeah. I don't have the special tool for that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that. That's the best one. <laughs> Um, well, thank you for joining me on the show, uh, Adam. I really appreciate it. Um, I think the first time we met was, uh, you were working for Identifix and you were putting on a, um, it was like a diagnostic challenge. Uh, it was research for you guys mm-hmm. on how, uh, service information was used and you had some bugged vehicles and 
uh, several techs come in and and work through different problems using service information. Um, so I was actually curious on this, and this was a few years back, but mm-hmm. what uh, what were you guys trying to learn from that? And what, I'm also curious to know, what did you learn from <laughs> that experiment? I don't know yeah. how many times Pro- you ran it, but... Project Recon. Yes, that was the actual technical term, Project okay. Recon. <laughs> and uh, we ran four cycles, four consecutive weekends, four techs four vehicles. Okay. I'm sorry, four techs, four weekends, four vehicles. Okay. So the goal was to try to neutralize any, any advantage the technicians might have by doing similar repairs. So in other words, everybody does this, does each diagnostic once. And then the next, a, a next group comes in completely fresh, totally different. And, and essentially what we were trying to establish were, were a couple of different things. Number one, how long on average did it take four different guys to fix this one car with four different types of information systems, Google and, you know, Google, YouTube, Identifix, all data and Mitchell. And how long on average did it take all these different people with different backgrounds and over the course of time, we actually were able to generate averages on how long it took to get to the fix with each information. And we, we stunningly, Google and YouTube did actually came in third place. It wasn't last. Oh, Mitchell, really? Actually, Mitchell, Mitchell was last, believe it or not. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I guess, you know, yeah, nowadays with Google and YouTube, there is such a enormous amount of information out there. It's, it really comes down to the individual's ability to sift through and search efficiently. And you can find a lot of stuff out there. We were, we were, we were recording the screens. We were looking at keystrokes to see if there were um, search patterns from different people. Were, Were they using it the same way or were they using it differently? And were the people who did it faster, was it different in their keystrokes versus the people who did it it took longer or was it just longer because there's a little bit of differences in how people go about tasks anyway. Right. So you have a little bit of, you have a margin of error, of course, you know, you get through a a diagnostic on an odyssey faster, maybe than someone else with the same piece of information, but the keystrokes helped us as well. So that sort of, it was sort of a, a multiple step process of, you know, how fast and what were the keystrokes showing us as far as what were the search patterns and how the applications were used and of course, in the end, how could we make ours better and how and, and, and what advantage maybe did say an all data or some of the others have? So all data has um, their their sort of universal format was favorable because when you're dealing with four different OEMs, if the type mm-hmm. of information is displayed the same way each time, it's faster for a guy. If I have if I look up a Honda the same as I look up as a Toyota or the same as I look up a whatever, because it's all kind of been standardized, yep. faster than displaying it in the OE way, because I might know a lot about looking up OE information for one manufacturer, but I don't know anything about looking it up. At, and, and you know as well as I do from our conversations that part of your curriculum is people having to learn how to use service information because it's it's actually that complicated. Quite frankly, yeah. I think. it's a skill set to navigate <laughs> and, and navigate efficiently. And, uh, you know, we talked about that too, where, you, you know, I think every 
service information has the the search bar at the top now. I, I don't I don't know of anyone that doesn't, yeah. but and I like it and it's useful and I I definitely use it myself, but I try to push my students to because they they gravitate right towards the search uh-huh. bar, right? And they just want to put in whatever they are. I'm like, let's let's find that within this this information, the the manual path. I realize it's going to take more time. It's going to be time consuming, but understand how you got to that point of this particular service information, and it's going to benefit you in the long run because eventually that search engine or that search bar is not going to work the way you intended it to, and you're going to have to go through and understand how this is formatted. yeah, it's it's a skill set to really search and find <laughs> this stuff in a timely no. manner. No, and and you know the other point to carry on what you're saying is that by looking at it manually, you find things within there that you wouldn't have found with just a a keyword search because it filters all of the other stuff out, and there might actually be something good in there. I used to find just little nuggets here and there, and yeah, it took longer, but. I don't regret it. The, the last thing we, we, we were we were doing is, yeah, I was keeping track of who did the best job because they were secretly going into a folder going, oh, I need to hire somebody. <laughs> that guy did pretty good. <laughs> Shh. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm kidding. No, it's cool. It's, it, it, but yeah, no, we were. And uh, uh, yeah, it, it, it's just, it was another way to network. And yeah, it's, you also get to, you know, meet different people, but yeah, you get to see what their skills are like. And yeah, you can, you can tell pretty quickly how they, how, how, how they diagnosed it, but how they, the process they used to do it. So in other words, the confidence, not a lot of errors, um, uh, kind of a steady methodical approach across all of the different vehicles. You could see it. Right. Some guys got really bogged down and struggled in a certain car because they weren't familiar with it. People sure. that had a good diagnostic thought process, they didn't. They, they didn't get bogged down because it was a Jeep. They didn't get bogged down because it was a Honda or a Volkswagen, right? They 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 went to the problem, they dealt with it, right? And the process they used was consistent, and you could see it in the times it took for them to do each of those tasks. And uh, boy, a uh, process is so important when you're doing this stuff, and. So that was actually one of the questions that I'm really curious about, and maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit here. So you did work for Identifix. How long did you work uh, for Identifix for? Uh, Nine years. Okay. And so did you actually work on the hotline or what was your role there? Yep. So I started out working as a car line specialist on the European team. Uh, my background, I came from a Volkswagen dealer, so I was hired in initially Volkswagen Audis, but I kind of tried to kind of fill in some of those oddball stuff that other people wouldn't, the the occasional Porsche and the Saab and just those cars that really would just kind of trickle in that nobody ever gained expertise besides Craig. He sat across from me and Uh I kind of picked at those. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's so I started out on the car line. Yes. But. So when you're doing that, the hotline over the phone. So, I mean, obviously I get a lot of shops. They'll call me and they'll start, you know, kind of questioning me on, oh, hey, this car's doing this and that. And I'm like, dude, I got to look at it. I'm like, I can't do this over the phone. It very rarely can I grab the symptoms they tell me over the phone and tell them what it was. Somebody called me on a purge valve the other day. They were like, yeah, every time they, you know, fill up with gas, it doesn't start. I'm like, put a purge valve in it. But that doesn't happen very often. And- 
I got to imagine, and especially if you're doing European vehicles, that's that's got to be a hell of a struggle to do this over the phone. How how did you get through every day? So what I found was that um, five to seven minutes or five to ten minutes of intense listening, you know, kind of slow the conversation down. They kind of come in and they're they're all over the place, and you kind of kind of kind of have to let them sort of speak their piece, right? And you're listening. Uh-huh. I mean, listening. Doing this or listening skills and um, knowing what questions to ask skills are like the two most valuable skills when you're trying to do remote diagnostics. So stop and you usually have to go, okay, why this is the easy, this is the, this is the most important question. Why is the car in the shop right now? Yes. What brought, <laughs> what brought the car here? Is this, is this a first time customer? Um, is this, a second or third time uh, attempt at a repair. It got towed into from another shop. Is this the guy next next to you is on vacation and the, it's his comeback? What's the history on the vehicle? What have we touched this car at all? That's where you and, and that's where you go. Okay, I'd say eight times out of ten, yes, we've been working on this car. What did you do? Tell <laughs> me exactly what you did. Yeah, and that's so. So important. My favorite diagnosis came from the guy, Jim Newkirk. It was an Audi. It was a three liter Audi, 2004 AVK, which is the goofy four variable cam gears with a timing belt. Okay. So it it was like variable valve timing, but without a chain, it was a belt and the phasers fill with oil, but it's got a belt, right? And it's, you need two claws to set this thing up. So basically you you, you, you loosen all the bolts, you lock the cams down, you put a pin in the crank, right? You tension the belt, you preload the exhaust, right? And you lock it all down, right? So the car was out of time. The guy had put a timing belt on it. Okay. So everyone's like, okay, so you got, you got the special tools. Yep. Yep. Put the pin in, blah, 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 blah. I got the claws on, blah, blah, blah. I did everything. Okay. Well, it should be in time. So you're sending in the measure value blocks and you're looking at eh, this, this cam's out of time, man. Something's not right things at a time all the cams are at a time and call after call and so finally jim got him and jim was like the senior guy had been there forever right and he's just like okay let's let's go through this one more time he's like Mm -hmm. step by step i want you to tell me exactly how you set up the timing belt okay i rolled the engine around to tdc number one he goes well wait wait a second what i rolled the engine around to tdc number one i put the pin in he goes no 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 it's tdc number three (laughs) <laughs> the, the pin would go in and it would just put enough pressure on the crank. It would hold it, but it was holding it number one top dead center instead of number three where there's oh, no. actually a machined hole. <laughs> so him making the guy go through like step by step, explain exactly what you did. That yeah. fixed the car. No kidding. Everyone I, else just listened to the guy and he was like, yep, I, I put the crank pin in, I locked it down. I put the clamps on. You're going, okay, yep. That's exactly what I would have done. Except yeah. you didn't ask the right question. Well, that, so, yeah, that's the thing is you, you, you must have a lot of people where they're confident in what they're telling you, correct? but they're misinterpreting something or like if they're doing a test, if you're trying to get a, a voltage value or something and they're just performing the test wrong, correct. I, I got to imagine you run into that all the time. Yes. Yep. Wrong wire. Tell me exactly <laughs> what, what's your yeah. meters. What's your meter set at? 
<laughs> yeah. Go back. Let's right. just just tell. And, 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 and some, I had one guy who was a bad lead. He goes, I can't get this signal. He goes, I, I back probe it. It's flat. When I back probe it, the car runs weird. He's like, it doesn't make any sense. And you're thinking, okay, it's dragging the signal voltage down and it's dropping out and stalling. You know? And then you're just finally just like, just, just try a different tool. Okay. It's fine. It was bad. It was bad. It's a bad lead. <laughs> he, he had fixed the car and in the process of just testing his work, he had a bad lead. <laughs> fix the fixes tools too. Fix the tools. Ah. So it's it's of yeah, listening and not and and like I said, and, and and but you have to do it in a way that's not you know patronizing either. So you don't want to make the guy feel like he's dumb. You don't want to talk down to him because trust me, I don't know everything. And these guys work on I, I'm I'm working on Volkswagen's Audi. This guy's working on 27 different manufacturer. So you yeah, can tell me stuff on a Chevy or a Ford or a Dodge or a whatever, and I'd be like, yeah, okay. Huh? I don't know that. Well, no, when they're calling in, they're already frustrated, right? Because it probably depends on the shop and the person, but I know uh, like I had Identifix for most of my career as a tech. And when we were calling the hotline, like we'd use the the archive all the time, but when we were calling the hotline, we got our butts kicked already and we weren't in the greatest of moods (laughs) to begin with. Right. But um, what was calling in, it's probably something's bad. I mean, it's yeah. Yeah. What was nice is talking to whoever it was. um, And I remember we, we worked with uh, Mark Owens. Did you, do you work with him? The GM guy, GM team manager. Yep. Yep. And uh, he, he was buddies with, uh, yes, he was buddies with with the shop owner at the shop I worked at because they worked at Chevrolet together. But anyways, um, we, um, we, we'd call them up and even if they didn't, like know the answer point is exactly where to go. It was kind of one of those things where you bounce stuff off or you re you, you speak out your steps out loud, like you were talking about and you realize, yes. okay, wait, maybe I wasn't th- so thorough on this check, or maybe I skipped over or didn't understand what I was seeing here. And it always ended up getting us to yep. the right well, answer. Even if they didn't tell us the answer, it sent us down the right path. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes it's just because we've, studied those systems so many times on so many of those vehicles, the systems are the same. You've memorized the system operation kind of, of this, whatever it is, and you can just sort of speak it out. So sometimes just being able to call in and say, actually that one has vacuum, that one doesn't, this one is this. And it's like, ah, okay. Did you pull the gas tank down? Yes. Okay. Those two lines can go backwards, so they're they're not dummy proof on this car, right? So sometimes it's just that knowing that, unplug sure. the one. Is there vacuum on it? No. Unplug the body. Okay, flip those around. Bam. Now your whatever problem is. It's a lot of times it's those things, right? It's it's just we've been drenched in those systems for so long that it's some of just those sort of basic operations or even complicated operations. What it would take for you to go through and read the entire system's operation on a leak detection pump, how does it work and all this stuff. It takes a long time, right? And and sometimes, especially on a Volkswagen, it's really tough to interpret, right? I, I need someone to explain this to me in, in mechanic talk. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a bicycle pump. So I always tell people it's a bicycle pump. The other okay. thing is it's always, you know, like, and it's also the tricks kind of like the um, leak, you know, you know, testing for like EVAP leaks on those. It's, it's kind of like, hey, I, I'm, I'm testing this and 
I can't tell if it's a leak, but there's smoke in the wheel well. That's where the that's where the LDP is. And there's a filter on the end, so it actually just pinch the pliers off, just pinch it off. It seals the system up. You don't have to turn on the scan tool. You don't have to turn on the car. And I used to just tell guys, pull the fender liner down, turn the machine on. When you see smoke coming out of the filter, pinch it off. Now it's full and it's sealed. Done. So sometimes it's just little things you can help somebody get through a quick thing where they don't. First, they're like, I don't know why I've got smoke coming out of this thing, right? Maybe they're not never seen one of these before. So yeah, sometimes it's just that it's, it's just that little, that little aha moment. Sure. Uh, so uh, tying this back to uh, where I, I started with Identifix was doing this whole thing. We're talking to people on the phone, trying to help them out through this process. Mm-hmm. That That's the word is, did you guys have like a written out process? And I don't need to know what it is step by step, but was there something like, you do this, you do that, you do this. Was that part of your structure when you came into work every day? So it wasn't really rigid. There was a couple of things you were always trying to do. So you, the, the car would come in in the queue and there'd be a repair order, right? On our, it's like a digital repair order. It's, and it would have the vehicle information. We always wanted to get the VIN because on Volkswagen, you always wanted the engine code. I want the transmission code. I want to be able to put all that stuff in there. And then when it came to taking notes, it wasn't a fast typer, but there were things that we always wanted to try to get. And for me, it was always, I want to get, it's kind of just like, I always thought about it kind of like as a repair order, right? Cause, Mm -hmm. complaint, correction. So first off, I want to, I I, want to, I want the actual symptom. I want to know what it is is wrong because you might have a paragraph. You might have two words. You might have a manifesto. Uh, of a guy who's yeah. just completely frustrated and there's like, Oh my God, this dude's been working on this car for a week. I feel so bad for him. Um, there was one guy, Bob, he hated cars. It was funny. Cause he would write out a whole thing and it'd be like, in the very bottom, you go, thank you, Bob. I hate cars. He put in the system. He'd submit online. It was just funny. I just remember that he was kind of a little crotchety older guy. Right. And he is, you know, you could tell he'd been wrenching for probably 30 plus years and he was he didn't like European cars that much and he got stuck with them. So he came in <laughs> quite a bit, but always, you always want to get the symptom. You always want to document what, what direction you sent the guy. So we're going to go test. We're going to go get this piece of information. We're going to go look at this value. I want you to back probe this sensor and get me some readings. Let's gather this data and inf- information. And I would document that. So there was a basic structure we did when we documented. So symptom, test steps, correction, because eventually it turned into an archive. Sure. Yeah, which we've all used uh, many times, which is right. <laughs> super, super helpful. It's a, it's a, I always looked at an archive as a partnership between me and the guy I'm helping. And I never really looked at it as, as I'm the smart guy. I know everything. I always looked at it as I'm lucky because I got somebody calling in, right? They're going to mm-hmm. share the problem with me and I'm going to try to help them solve this problem. But they're part of it. It's never just me saying you're going to blindly do all these things and it's going to point you to the problem. It was their knowledge and intuition that helped along the way because you and when you got to working with people, it'd be kind of like, well, I did the test and I found this. Ah, I did that. Yeah, cool. Okay. Now I know what's going on. So the test I may have given them didn't get us exactly there, but it put us in the general area. But the results of the test, now 
now we can move in the right direction. So sure. Not every test I gave was the right one, but it was close enough. And usually the guys were smart enough that you kind of get them in, right. You're kind of yeah. helping, helping yep. them get into that area. Like let's, let's get, let's get out of these other areas. Let's focus over here. And so you kind of tunnel in and the problem. So we, we, we avoid losing our, our ass over there and there and there. Let's, <laughs> let's try, yep. try. And that was my goal is I'm probably not going to fix it on the first call, but if I can get way closer to the problem, help somebody get way closer to the problem, then, then we're halfway home. It would get you in the right funnel at least. Yeah. To, yeah. To, get you at least going towards the problem. Uh, And that's, that's how I felt uh, when I used it too. Um, What do you do with a situation where there's limited tooling with the shop, right? Because anybody who has a subscription can call, but Mm -hmm. what they have available for testing equipment, or I mean, even equipment to perform the work, are there creative solutions to get around roadblocks or you're, you just tell people, Hey, you got to buy this tool. <laughs> yeah. I, so it, I mean, I, you know, it, it really, really depends on what tool it is they're missing. Like if you can't mm-hmm. time the injection pump, it's kind of like, <laughs> yeah. Right? there are certain tools you almost can't get away with because it's like, we might get it to start, but we're not going to get the light off. Right. And mm-hmm. And if we could, it would be this long, painful. So I, I kind of just use the honesty scenario. If there is a hack to get around it, we will. Yeah. If there isn't, then I'm just honest and I'll tell them, hey, look, the tool you really need costs this much money. If you uh-huh. think you're going to be working on these cars a fair bit and you want to make you want you want to you know roll the dice and make an investment in the tool, cool. But if you think you're never going to see one of these again, then you might want to just stop and you know, have a conversation with the customer, see what's best for you in your shop. And that's kind of how I personally handled it. I'm not going to force them to buy a tool, right? But, but yeah, if I can find a hack, sure. So yeah, there were you know tricks, tips. Yeah, we could use a voltmeter in some places where you really wanted a scope, you know, duty cycle, average voltage. We can tell if there's a signal there, kind of. So you kind of get that to where like, okay, I'd like to see the Lin bus, but if you unplug uh-huh. it and you put your voltmeter there, and the voltmeter isn't steady, it's ten-ish volt, and it's kind of moving a lot there's a signal there. Uh-huh. So you have those kind of little shortcuts in certain, and if it's four volts or two volts, okay, we're got a problem. This thing, this Limbus is dead. There should be, it's an 11 volt and it's binary bits being exchanged on the network, right? Uh-huh. And it looks a little bit weird on a scope, but on a voltmeter, it is, it's 10-ish, 10-ish volts. And yeah. then like signal wires that get pulled down in series for like a signal to a fan controller that just your standard duty cycle. Sure. It's high speed is typically two volts, Right, medium, you know, 50% duty cycles about five and a half ish volts, right? So you kind of have those little tricks you can kind of help people get through if they don't have a, a full blown scope in some areas where, where they needed it. So, yeah, a vacuum gauge is a quick way to kind of look at and see if valve timing's an issue. It's like you've got this code and your, vac- your vacuum gauge is doing this. Yeah, you're <laughs> yeah. not supposed to be. It's out of time. So now, now, you, now you decide. Do you want to buy tools, tear it down, and uh-huh. mechanically at a time how do you want to go about it so yeah we had tricks that we kind of learned over the years to kind of shortcut some things okay yeah that's cool the scope was kind of the one i was wondering about because i i go to a lot of shops that don't have or i don't know don't use the scope and so if i was trying to get them to scope something over the phone it would be <laughs> <it'd> be tricky <laughs> you, yeah you had to kind of you know sometimes they would have it and didn't know it and then you did have it was it was yeah it was a little 
learning curve is kind of like it's, it get a little rough. And there were uh-huh. some cases where you had to have a scope. It was just simple as that. And, you know, so, sometimes the tricks get you only so far. Like we can get an idea if there's a signal here, but depending on the code, we might need the scope. So, right, right. Yeah. The situations where that's the, that's the answer for sure. Yep. Um, th- did you ever have anybody just flat out lie to you about what was going on with the car? Cause I I've worked with people where, or, well, I've worked, you know, with shops where that's the case where I know they're just, their pride is hurt or whatever it is. And yes, yes. I know they're not telling me the truth because I measured it. I'm like, that's, that's what it is, man. I'm not trying to yep. demean you in any way, but I, did. <laughs> I, I, I won't forget it. I, I remember it. It was fuse five. It was a, it's car had a blown fuse five. I knew it on the first call fuse five is blown. Cause it was like that fuse powers up like 12 different things. If you've yeah. got these seven codes and all this stuff over here doesn't work, right? Fuse five is blown, right? Mm-hmm. So like you check all the fuses. Yeah, they're all good. Can you check fuse five? Yeah, it's good. It's there, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you think I'm stupid? I'm like, no, no, I'm serious. It happens, <laughs> right? I'm just, I'm, I said, that, and it's not easy to count those fuses because it's not this way. There's like, two, and, they're, and there's, they're stacked, right? You've got the mini fuses up above. And then if you've got these ones, they count differently. So it's like one, two, three, four, five, right? Yeah. And then down here, it's, they count all the way down. Right. Okay. So it's, 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 okay. it's just, I'm like, you know, it's no big deal. And he's like, no, no, I'm sure it's good. Okay, fine. So let's, let's go out to the pressure sensor, turn the key on, go to the black blue wire. You got 12 volts. Nope. Okay. Go over here. Check this. Okay. You got 12 volts. Nope. Oh yeah. They're, 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 you know, we're, we got a bad splice or something. So he's like, just working it back and he's refusing to go back to the, you're sure the fuse. Yeah, I'm sure the fuse is good. I'm like, all right, all right. He, he took it to the point where he actually removed the fuse box, pulled out the, the back of it. And he tested I'm like, text that pin. Is there power on that one? Yes. Is there power on that one? No. The only thing between those two points is the fuse. <laughs> and then he's like, so he's like, he hangs up the phone on me. And then when finally he calls back, well, it was just a bad connection. It wasn't pushed in all the way. And he just, you know, he, he tried to explain away the fact that the fuse was blown. So yeah, he took it, he yeah. took it, turned it into like a two hour ordeal. So, but, and, and that was, that was a, for me, that was a learning experience. So one of the things I always tell guys when they were kind of pushing back on like wanting to get too deep into testing or they didn't want to do something, I was, I kind of remembered that. And I said, okay, look, you know, whatever is wrong with this car is wrong. Whether, whether we like it or whether we want to tear something down, if there's a bad splice that's in the middle of that wiring harness, that's bad. We could dance all around this car. Not going to fix it till we, (laughs) so I'm just saying we can't wish the problem away. Yeah. Right. You, you, You can't, it's, it's inevitable. Whatever's broken is broken. And whether I want it to be the PCM or whether I want it to be a wiring harness, whether I don't want it to be a head gasket, if the head gasket's bad, I may not want to replace it, but if it's blown, it's got to get done to fix the car. So sure. it, 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 it made me think about it in that terms of the guy didn't want to admit this fuse was blown and he was willing to spend two hours wasting his time away instead of just swallowing his pride <laughs> and going in and saying, yeah, the fuse is blown. Shit. I screwed up. Yep. Yep. 
Well, yeah, I, I think we, I think we've all been there at least at one point and whether we learn from it or not is another thing, but just uh, <laughs> fighting our pride in this industry. Cause these cars will humble the, the oh. crap out of you. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I had a guy who also, we had a lied, what was a fuel pressure problem car. And I'll never forget. It's, it's crank. No start. Okay. You know, well, if you, you know, hit it with some carb cleaner, does it fire up? Yep. I'm like, oh, what's fuel pressure? It's good. Okay, well, good like fifty pounds or good like forty pounds or good like yeah what I mean what's good I mean that's that's like compression is good okay well <laughs> good for a lawnmower or yeah or, or good or, or good for a twenty twelve three fifty Z which one right, right. So, you know, eighty pounds on my Briggs is okay but eighty pounds in this no 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 it yep. isn't so. Nope, I checked it. It was, and he spits out whatever the spec was, 58.2 or 58 pounds, right? It's like dead on the money. I'm like, oh, all right, 58 now. Well, I mean, if you've got really good fuel pressure, it's not coming out of the injectors. Yeah, we got it. We got like a main power going in the injector. They're not, it's not opening, but you don't have any injector codes. No, I'm like, huh. You know, now it's not adding up, right? So if you've got mm-hmm. 58 pounds of fuel pressure and you're you're dry as a bone, you got nothing coming in. And every single injector circuit was open. There should be triple codes. Yep. So I, you know, I'm like, all right, well, look, check the power wires, put an oid light on, because he didn't want to he, he didn't want to budge off the whole fuel pressure thing, and uh, he did the t- he he's like, okay, fine, I'll do that. So he called me back. Yeah, the lights flashed and this and that and. Then I got to, I, I rechecked fuel pressure. Okay. What'd you have? Well, I didn't have any. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Well, now we're getting somewhere. Uh, is, is there fuel in the tank? Well, you think I am? I said, no, no, I'm serious. I mean, what, 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 what if the customer doesn't know their gas gauge is broken? It says there's half a tank and this thing's bone dry. I, I wouldn't be dumb enough to let that. All right, fuel pump relay. This is how it works. Crank the engine over. We should see power on this fuse. 28. And go back, pull up the seat, brown wire, red and blue wire, back probe, crank the engine. Do we have power? <laughs> yeah, I got power. Okay, we got power at the pump. You got no pressure. Either you got a bad pump or the tank's empty. Well, the tank was empty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh. You know, sometimes it's, it's not lying, but it's pride. You're right. They just, you know, it's, yeah. they, they don't want to accept that. And again, it, inevitably the car was out of gas on call one. And you just told me, you know, I didn't check fuel pressure. I could have said, all right, great. Get a gauge. Let's see what it is. This is how it works. Sure. And then, right. So, yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's an important lesson for anybody. Uh, just to, to swallow that at some point or another, because the car, they're going to find you, these cars, they will, (laughs) they will make you look stupid at one point or another. You You just got to accept it. (laughs) Do you want to slip a ring on the finger of this car? Or do you want to fix this thing, man? Which which one is it? We, 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 if you want to, I'll give you enough rope to hang yourself, man. If you want to turn this into 12 calls and I've had people to do that and they refuse and we would just come, I mean, yeah, we come all the way back around. Right. You know, they Uh didn't, and, eventually you got better at shortcutting people and stopping them. Right. So you start to yeah. go down, and you know, and sometimes in the beginning you let them take you all the way around and you know, then you start to get a little bit better. You're like, okay, look, I've been here before I've done this. We're, we're, we're gonna, we're probably going to spend a lot more time going down that road and yeah. then you're going to be calling me tomorrow and the next day. And you don't, you, you want to get off this thing and make some money, man. Don't marry this thing. Let's do this. So you have to kind of craft 
really communication and listening skills become almost and detective skills a little bit too yeah just to be able to sense when something doesn't seem right like yes that exactly you can tell just by how they answer the question if they've done it or not right the Mm -hmm. the pause yeah right and then and then they answer and then it's kind of like okay yeah now i know (laughs) you didn't do step three okay cool (laughs) yep that's what that's what they say in uh, teaching too is give them eight seconds of silence and and most of the time somebody will say something as you just kind of wait them out and <laughs> something right. will happen I, you know the, the the best guys on the hotline are the ones who listen the most and they learned a lot from the people that called in too I learned as much and I learned as uh, I learned as much as I, I I learned as much information as I gave I think sometimes. Yeah, dude, dude, I'll tell you what. Uh, so I go, I do the mobile thing and I go to a lot of the shops to do the diagnostic work. But mm-hmm. these these guys that I'm going to work with the techs, not every single one of them. I, you got people that are fresh and people that aren't really invested in the industry, but you got the veterans and some guys that are really, really smart with specific things. Like mm-hmm. I go to a lot of transmission shops and I got guys that know transmissions like down to the clutch. Uh, you know, in and out and super, super intelligent for what they're doing, their specific craft, right. Or, or whatever it might be building engines or suspension or whatever. And yeah, you can pull so much information from these guys. Uh, It's just crazy. I have a few of them that I call for stuff, especially transmissions. I'm not a tranny guy. Like I, 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 I can do the electrical part. I can tell you if the module and the solenoids are doing their thing. Sure. And that's, that's about as far as I go. But if there's something weird and I don't understand how it works, I, I'm calling up these guys like, Hey, I got this thing with this transmission. It's doing this weird thing. <laughs> how does this work? And that's, you can't discount anybody that's really, you know, a professionalist industry because they've got something to offer and they can yeah. really, really help you out if you're willing to, to not, I, I never want to walk in and consider like, I'm better than you. Like, that's right. not my goal right. at all. I just have a specialty and I, what's your specialty? Share that with me, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. And and for me, it was, if, if they're willing to do a test and give me a value that I can put into an article that someone else can use, that's gold. I mean, that's like, yeah. why would you, why would you not want to work with that person? I, I told you, I think when I did the the challenge things, one of my mm-hmm. favorite parts about Identifix was the notes from the technicians in the archive. Correct. I always scan those because there are some really nice gems of oh, information yeah. within the technician notes that they actually posted in the fix. I want to see those. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's a huge, huge thing that I want to try to be able to capture and make it a little more notable in, in the Autel Autel's version of what they're trying to do, that's going to become very crucial because the, 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 the act of confirming a part needs to be a much more intricate part of the content itself. I don't want someone to check off a box. Yep, it's fixed it. Why? How? Did that actual part that's listed fix it or did something else fix it? And if something right. else did fix it, what was it? Because it's valuable. So we'll work to maybe have a reward system for people of, hey, every time you confirm a fix, you get a certain number of points. And those points can be redeemable towards tools or something maybe, right? Because that's just as important because it's great having a, an, an article with text and diagrams and pictures and it helps you get to a problem. 
it's even better when someone who's been through there once goes, yeah, but when I got there, this is what was wrong. Mm-hmm. Got to the part, but it wasn't, it didn't fail in this way. It failed in that way, or it failed as the result of something else that yeah. was in the same area. It, it had come loose over time because something had rusted and it was rubbing and then it shorted it, whatever. Right. But I, that's the stuff that you can't get until someone does it. Exactly. Yeah. Like this thing failed and it was supposed to put out five volts, but it was putting out 3.2 volts on this wire. And the, you know, that happens to be how they fail. And there's always 3.2 volts on that wire. That's, that's a, that's a very valuable piece of information to me if I'm actually doing the testing. Right. And what, and, and especially if it gets a situation where you have like, let's say plugged in, it's usually five volts, but when you unplug it, maybe the plausibility voltage is three volts. So when it's plugged in and shorted, yeah. it's three. When you unplug it and you test it, it's still three. Well, okay, nothing's wrong here. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. So, for sure. So those are those little nuggets that you get where someone's in the you know, boots on the ground is doing that, going, wait a second, this. Or, you know, and maybe it's something as simple, as stupid as, you know, it's a a, a mouse was living on top of this. That's a common problem. <laughs> yep. Oh, <laughs> I got I, in I there hu- for this. <laughs> I had a hungry mouse today on a 14 uh, E3, E250. Uh, okay. he, he, got, he got real hungry and chewed through a couple cam lines, uh, accelerator, pedal oh. position, and uh, something with the transmission. So <laughs> they, Certain they, cars. Certain <laughs> cars. Beetles. Beetles where the ECM always was. Oh, man. Yeah. It was in it was in this in the plenum area, but the plenum area was sort of behind the instrument cluster almost, uh-huh. and it was a, just a great area because you had the pollen filter on the right, you had the ECM on the left. <laughs> so they chew chew up the pollen filter, and they come over and chew on the wiring harness. <laughs> I, I really want to know what it is about wires that they like so much, right? It's just a rodent <laughs> thing. Like I have to chew this. This looks delicious. <laughs> I've heard different things about like the insulation has to be made by with with some type of biodegradable content. So it oh. doesn't last for doesn't last forever and like a landfill doesn't last a billion years or something, right? So they make okay. it and and you know, I don't know if you remember older Mercedes, they they apparently got a little too aggressive with whatever they were using in the 90s and the the the, the stuff the, the insulation would just kind of just decay by itself <laughs> and by, all the wires start touching each other half-life on that right, right exactly <laughs> brian france is like oh it's a 99 whatever oh yeah these will harness yeah he pick up the phone <laughs> what is it doing he goes reach back there and pull on that did it stall yeah yeah it needs a wiring harness it's just the the the, the, the insulation rots right away so. But, but you don't have rodents, you, don't <laughs> or, have oh, rodents. You, you, you would have rodents in that case i guess if it was if it oh, was yeah. that it's it's basically cardboard right um, <laughs> <laughs> all right so so now you are working for autel right. uh what what is your role with autel right now so autel is is obviously just making tools but what they're trying to do is they they want to create applications within the tools to help support technicians better. So in other words, just instead of making a tool and hand it to them saying, hey, this tool scans the car, it does cool things. Yeah. They want they want applications that say, hey, not only does the tool scan the car, but it can be your scope and it could it, it, it can do programming and it can also potentially have repair information available. It can have intelligent diagnostics, right? 
So my role is sort of industry experience and knowledge on what technicians deal with, how they go about diagnosing cars, what they need to diagnose cars. And then I work with developers on the applications. So they're writing applications, but my, my sort of role is this is how it needs to be displayed. This is the type of features it needs to have. This is what's going to save people time. Okay. So awesome. I, I review the tools, I use the tools, and then I go through the applications. We, all, we also do some of, the, we're starting to work through some of the translation things. So Chinese translated directly to English, that, that mechanism, the English version of that, it's, it can be a little rough. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't translate real smoothly. So the wording is kind of, it's, it's not smooth. Yeah, saving for data or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah you know, log in succeed instead of you know, you're <laughs> log in successful, right? So yeah, believe yeah. it or not, we're going through and we're actually going through pages of these kinds of things and going, okay, here, this is what it should say. And here, that is what it should say. And eventually we'll get into some of even some of the nomenclature they use for like hot functions and some of the things because it's kind of like, why is it hot functions? Because it went in their term when it translated that's how it translated in okay so, so okay. that's some of the other issues we're, we're trying to work with them on too gotcha yeah i'll tell you what i'll tell since they popped onto the scene as far as i was aware i don't know it's probably 10 years well wait uh let's see i'm trying to think of when i bought my first autel so i bought a, a ds708 i want to say it was in like 2013 or so Somewhere around there. And, and, you know, ever since then, they've been, you know, very present, just the the tip of the spear on, on all this stuff. I mean, the 708, it changed what I could do as a technician. I was just at Firestone. I was using a junk OTC Pegasus, which I hated <laughs> oh, so slow. much. Oh, oh man. And so I got so frustrated. I went and I bought my own tool or my own scan tool. I never had my own scan tool. I always use the shops and I bought the 708 and the thing just kicked ass for what it was. I mean, it was, it was so much better than any scan tool that I had used. And they've been seeming at the forefront for a lot of stuff for quite a while now I do the J2534, the mm-hmm. mobilizer stuff. Yep. They include the programmer uh, for EEPROM stuff in there too. Um, and now uh, I know Matthew Scundrench is like doing a beta of remote programming. I mean, there's all kinds of yep. stuff coming yep. down the pipeline, it seems. Yes. Yeah, they're getting far more aggressive at the support end of what they can offer through the tool. Because, yeah, I mean, the, the scan tool has become the the single most common tool most people have and use i mean mm-hmm. it's almost i mean i i can't think of a day where i mean i think when i my days at identifix i mean everything revolved around a scan tool everything it was grab your scanner whether it's codes whether it's data right and yeah. um i remember the first um the first autel tool i helped somebody with was a maxidos yeah yeah they, they had a maxidos and i was yep. like okay well Go here. What do you got? Oh, you, you actually can do that? Yeah. Okay, go here. You can do that? Yeah. Oh, wow, really? Tell me tell me what's over there. That. Hey, it's right. You, yep. you, you, can, you can get that block? Yeah. Oh, cool. Snap-on can't do that. Sweet. I like this yep. tool, right? So it was like, yeah, it was uh, It was like one of my, you know, if, when I was working with someone on, on, on a Volkswagen, if they didn't have VAGCOM, 
Autel was the was the next best thing to Vagcom, really. Sure. So so if the shop didn't have Vagcom, they had an Autel, get the Autel. I got a snap on. No, no, no. Put the snap on away on this car, get the Autel, trust me. <laughs> you know, may, maybe on a Ford or whatever, I, I guess. I don't know. But you know, for me on Volkswagens, yeah, Autel was 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 the was the number two choice when it came to uh when it came to, to Vagcom. And today I still I still I mean obviously like I like the Autel. I work for Autel. I think the tool's, you know, really, really good. So sure. I mean, it, it it's got holes like everything else, right? Mm-hmm. Like no yeah. one tool is gonna be perfect for yeah. everything. Um, but all around. Yeah. It, yeah, all and, around. And that was the thing. Is Vagcom was awesome only, but it's only for Volkswagen. Uh-huh. That's yep. it. That's all it does, right? So if I had to choose between Vagcom and Autel, it's Autel because it's going to do everything. It's going to do my Honda, my Chevy, and it can do my Volkswagen. And I, one tool can do it all for the most part. So, yeah, that's that's the thing. You know, there are certain people that'll preach like you should only use the factory tool if you want to be a professional, and that's fine if you're only working on one line of vehicle. And sure. and at a dealership, of course, you are. But mm-hmm. even dealers have Autels. Um, <laughs> yeah, and if you're a specialty shop. And- at a Volkswagen dealer, we had Vagcoms because the factory <laughs> tool is so freaking slow sometimes. It's like, I yeah. don't want to do guided fault finding, <laughs> plug this thing in, bam, I'm in. <laughs> exactly. But if you're in the independent world at all and you're working on multiple brands, you got to have something that is yeah. versatile yeah. that uh, that can hit every brand with at least some amount of efficiency. And maybe there's one that's weak, whatever. Sure. But, um, yeah, yeah, super, super handy, and I've always, I've always enjoyed their tools. Uh, I gotta say, the I have the I am five oh eight, and I know there's a six oh eight, which is the scan tool, uh, the full diagnostic portion. I didn't go that route because I already had sure uh, several tools like that. But mm-hmm. the five oh eight, I'm I was so impressed with this little tool for I think I picked it up for like twelve hundred bucks or something right. a few years back. Yeah, the the mobilizer. And then the the EEPROM right processor programmer stuff that I didn't even realize when I bought it. Like I saw that it had that, I was like, "Oh, that's cool!" And I bought the XP, the additional, the the actual programmer thing yeah. for it for four hundred bucks or whatever it was. But what I was able to do with that once I, I attended some training and stuff, I was so impressed right. with what they packed into this little tool. I was like, "Holy cow, this well, is pretty it, sweet!" <laughs> it, it is amazing. I mean, from a technological perspective i mean you know 10 years ago it, you know it was almost you 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 were you were like oh it's got an immobilizer problem oh, i'm gonna have to call locksmith up oh, you're gonna have to you know tow to the dealer up oh, you're gonna right yeah and then bam now here it is it's like wow you get programming done keys i mean you do it all yeah yeah it's it's pretty sweet um so you guys are working on adding some technician features to the tool, right? So this is support through the tool as far as diagnostic w- works. How, what What is that going to look like? Or what do you guys want that to look like? So, so you know, they've been working with, and I, I mean, this is, I'm just starting, I do seeing sort of the edges of this, but intelligent diagnostics is one of the areas they're making inroads in, which is, kind of like guided diagnostics, if you will, on a factory tool. So you're working on a BMW, it's, let's say it's a, let's say it's an F30 chassis, you plug it in, right? And it's an 09, 10, whatever, and three series, and you're, you, you have a trouble code. 
it will pre be able to preload diagnostic strategies and troubleshooting areas that you can go through to assist in diagnosing the vehicle. So instead of just giving you a code and a definition, it can say, hey, here's here here here's here's how this works. Here is the system description. Here's everything you need to know about that particular part. Here's how you test it. Okay. So so they're they're adding some of the intelligent diagnostics in it. Right. So you'll have the ability to do testing without having to go to a service manual. Um, the, 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 the thing that you were talking about with, uh, was it, was it, was it Matt Skundrick you were talking about? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So remote expert is, um, um, a remote programming, um, scenario that they're working on that I, I'm kind of in the middle of that somewhat too. So basically it's going to allow people to, link to a platform to get assistance and get programming done via a network of people. Um, okay. and, and you would be able to pick whom you wanted to do. So the, the, the goal there would be, I can, I can open an application, right. On uh -huh. my tool, I can push a button on my tool and I've got a, whatever I need. I want to get this car programmed. And somewhere out across the country, there's people with applications and, think they're logged in and bam there's whoever with a such and such such and such wants to it's, it's replacing the ecm and needs to get it programmed okay and and they'll accept that order and link up with the person and perform programming from wherever they are now that person's in california and the car is in new mexico so be yeah it. that's pretty sweet <laughs> so, so that'll be you know something that populates on the dashboard of the tool so uh, anyone with a 909-919 Ultra had that application, pushes a button. I need this program. It's a push of a button. Um, all right. So uh, last thing I was curious sure. about, and this kind of ties in Identifix and maybe some of the future of, of Autel as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they provide a resource to technicians, to shops, as far as fixing cars, so like the archive for Identifix, mm -hmm. for instance, or, um, you know, intelligent diagnostics with Autel. And so a lot of people look at this as a crutch to uh, shops that keeps them from, I, I don't, maybe it keeps them from is a bad way to put it, but doesn't it incentivize them to get better at their own personal skills is figuring this stuff out. They can just rely on this information that they're paying for, right? They're paying for a subscription. They're getting the information. Um, but that it, it, it acts as a crutch and it keeps the skill level at a set point because they're okay. Just going with the top hit. And then sure. if that doesn't fix it, we go to the next one. I, I'm just curious to know what your feelings are on that being involved with, you know, this as long as you have been. Sure, sure. So I, I looked at, I mean, I mean, I've kind of thought about this quite a bit because I've heard that criticism. And I kind of go back to, if we go back prior to Identifix, we go back prior to being able to call someone for assistance or find something, you know, how did things used to happen? In a service shop, there would be a guy and he was new. What did he do when he was stuck? You go ask somebody, mm -hmm. right? 
how else what is he going to learn? Is he going to sit here and, you know, lose his butt on this car and never know? He's going to ask people. Somebody's going to show him. Someone's going to help him. Um, now, that person has a choice. Do they continue to go to get help or do they learn from that and grow? So I think that there's a percentage of people who will will misuse a system like that. And, and yeah, they'll just shotgun parts in it and they'll use it for what it is. I think the vast majority of people, though, I think they use it in the same way that we used to do it, which is you ask someone smart sometimes for help in the shop when you were green. You, you, you trained underneath someone who was your mentor. You learned, you went to classes, right? And you grew. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is a digital version of that. You, you use the archives. You learn from the archives. And if you do it the right way, you still grow uh, professionally, there's always going to be a percentage of people who don't. There, there's always going to be that percentage of people who do use something in a way that limits their abilities and limits their own personal growth. So, yeah, I think that all in all, I don't think it's Identifix that's causing it. I think they're providing a service. I think it's just the same percentage of people who misuse that or the same ones who also misuse that were always asking for help. Right? There was always that one guy who always, no, no matter what, he would always go wander around, ask everyone to help him fix his car, and then he'd go shotgun some stuff in it, right? That didn't change. Yeah. That still exists now. It's just that same percentage is using Identifix the same way as the guy in the shop used to wander around always for years and never grew. He just wanted to take the easy way out. I think you have that same group still now. No, I, but, they're, I, but, but they're loud. <laughs> I, I yeah. Well, I I think I think you're you're onto something there. Is that you know the technologies and stuff that uh, whether it be Identifix or uh, something like uh, crazy like social media or Facebook or whatever, everybody blames it as it's like evil or whatever. But does it really just amplify? you know, kind of what's already wrong, what was already present as a problem. And now it's just, it's amplified with this technology, but can it be used for some really good stuff at the same time? I think that's true as well. Um, If you're using this information, actually do the testing to actually learn and to understand, okay, I'm getting some help here, but uh, you know, I skipped to the end it, it, at this, I call it a cheat code, right? It's an automotive cheat code. I up, down, left, right, A, B, right. <laughs> and I got to the end, but okay. So what did I, what did I skip over here using that? And how can I apply that next time when I go to this one? Uh, I think that's where it is where a technician's got to recognize they're in that situation and apply it to the next time. Cause nobody can do this on their own. Like if we had to all yeah. figure out all of this stuff from scratch, <laughs> I'd still be working on a, a Chevy Corsica trying to figure out yeah. what was going on with it back in Look at the uh, tools in our hands. <laughs> yeah. You can, right. you, can say, you can say the scanner is a crutch. You pick it up all the time. Well, you have to, right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you, you know, how many books would it take to match the database of all that or identify so many books? Yeah. You need, you need the library <laughs> of Congress sitting next door, <laughs> sifting through papers. So, yep. I mean, yeah, there's uh, yeah, I, I, I just, yeah, I, I feel that, that, um, and also kind of the other analogy is borrowing tools. If you had to borrow the same tool four or five times, go buy it. And yeah. a lot of people will do that. They'll say, you know what? I'm tired of borrowing this tool. I do use it a lot. I'm going to go buy myself one. But there's that five per, five or 7% of people who will just continue to borrow other people's tools because they yep. can do it as long as they can get away with it. So yep. I think that those, yeah, I, I don't think Identifix makes people worse. I think it helps people be better in different ways. Yeah, for sure. 
Well, shoot, this was awesome. Do you got any oh. uh, anything else you wanted to add? Um, so how many, so this is a trend I'm seeing and I'm just curious, do you see, what do you see as the future of brick and mortar shops? Do you, do you think that's going to continue, reduce, or stay the same out of just a specific mandatory number of you? Sometimes you got to have a hoist or do you foresee cars technologically advancing to the point where brick and mortar shops will just slowly but steadily kind of fade away into the dustbin of history? Well, I mean, <laughs> until they start flying around, you've always got stuff like brakes, steering, suspension, tires, mm-hmm. and that stuff is never going to stop breaking, right? Sure. So mm-hmm. there's there's got to be there's got to be means to fix that, no matter yeah. what, no matter how fancy or electric the car is. Sure, that stuff's going to break, right? So it's going to be a while, and you know, there's been a lot of people talking about. Uh, you know, independent repair shops are going to start dwindling down because of the specialties of repairs. And, and I, and I get it. I I really, really get it because it's, it's tough out there right now for independent repair shops that aren't trained or tooled or geared up. Um, But at the same time, I see the uh, trying to think of the, the best word here and maybe you know, entrepreneurship or just ingenuity of people that want to make money in this field <laughs> is it is way more than people expect. And maybe it's not always done the right way, right away, or in certain areas, but there's just so many cars out there, so many broken cars, and there's a lot of money to be made. People are going to figure it out, right? They are going to utilize that remote programming or that mobile diagnostic, and they're they're going to make it happen as long as there's money to be made. Um, You know, the only thing I really see slowing that down is if there's some sort of government intervention with, um, you know, autonomous vehicles, and that could really put the brakes on aftermarket independent repair shops. But other than that, boy, there's a lot of broken cars out there right? still. <laughs> and, and for a while, right? You figure everything right now made in 2021 is going to be out there for at least 15 more years. Sure. Um, I mean, average, what's the average age of a vehicle on the road right now? Almost 13 years, 12, yeah. 12, 12, 12 to 13 years is the average age of a car right now. So yeah, yep. what's made today going to be here 12 years from now still. Yep. So in the um, internal combustion engine, it's in the pallet. It's it, it's in the slate of production for most manufacturers through 2030 anyway. So yeah. I don't I don't foresee um, I don't foresee huge changes. I mean, there'll be some change. People will migrate maybe to electric vehicles or maybe hybrid certain people, but there's sure. a, a pretty big segment of the market where that's just not. It's just it doesn't make sense for some people people who drive long distances, people who pull heavy, heavy loads. Right. I mean, there's just certain yeah. vehicles that, you know, if you got to pull a skid load every day, it's a diesel truck. It's just the way it yep. is. Yeah, not exactly. going to be anything else. So how do you, how do you feel about diesel technology? Well, uh, I'll be the first person to say, I don't know enough about it because I okay. don't really work on a whole lot of diesels, gotcha. but uh, where's it going? I don't know. <laughs> Well, you know, you had the whole diesel gate thing with Volkswagen and there was some well, yeah. backpedaling and, you know, diesel markets were going one way and then they've been trying to make more and more inroads. I'm just, I, I don't know. It's, 
I mean, I, I think that uh, I, I think there's an ever-changing regulatory landscape sometimes that I think yeah. that, that has a really big impact on what we see and what we work on. Well, yeah, definitely. Um, the, the rules the, change. Yeah, the the rules change, the, all kinds of restrictions and emissions. Uh, you know, we haven't been in emission state since, was it the 80s or whatever oh, in Minnesota? But <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that yeah. come back I, I at know. some point in the next decade. Um, but I like um, my old suburban. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my, my check engine light on my Buick was on for so long with the P0420. <laughs> the the light burnt out <laughs> one day i hopped in i'm like oh the light's off that's it cool i scanned it and yeah i got a code for the uh, the, the, the mil circuits it's on there for so long it burned out <laughs> yeah that's that's the thing about technicians that people don't i don't think they understand i think it's i think that's synonymous with every trade it's like you go to a plumber's house he probably has leaky faucets you go to an electrician's house <laughs> all light fixtures are bad you go to a carpenter's house it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> trim work's not done still <laughs> yeah exactly exactly you go to mechanic scar it's like damn dude yeah. what's wrong with this car well, you know, time. <laughs> I, i've been fixing cars all day long last thing i want to do is uh, you know i'll give it to the guys who are like really big like race enthusiasts oh, and, and and they do that stuff I, i'll tell you what I, i'm impressed because doing this like as a full-time career i i love it i really do that's why i'm podcasting at eight o'clock at night but when i when i got done at firestone at at, you know six o'clock whatever the last thing i wanted to do was come home and work on another vehicle but some guys do and they They freaking love it and that's all they want to do and they're on the racetrack on saturday and i I got I don't I got away from that. I lost it's, that side of the passion, I guess. Well, you know, I went to Lincoln Tech a long time ago when I was just out of I was in my yeah, I was in my early twenties. I was going to school at night at Lincoln Tech and I was working it as a mechanics helper at a Chevron. That's how I started my career as a mechanics okay. helper at a gas station. I went to Lincoln Tech at night and my engine instructor, Mr. Grable, uh, former army guy, no, no frills. No BS from this guy. I think he was cool. He was cool, but I mean, yeah, he, he <laughs> there no frills. He was right to the point, right? So yeah. he was he was he was introducing himself, and he's like, "Welcome to engines class. I'm Mr. Grable, right?" And blah blah blah. And he's like, "I want to kind of take a uh, a quick survey." You know, he started asking people what their hobbies were. So he's talking to people. What's your hobby? Oh, I build go karts and motorcycles, and I race. Okay, what's your hobby? Oh, I'm a drag racer. I do this, and he's going down the line asking people what all their hobbies are. And almost all of us were, it was something automotive or racing or motorcycles or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. He goes, I'm going to tell you one thing right now. If you're going to stay in this, in this industry as a career for the next, you're all in your twenties, next 40 years, find a hobby that doesn't have anything to do with cars and you'll make it to the end of 40 years. (laughs) If you don't, you'll burn out and be gone. (laughs) Yeah. He was totally right. Because, yeah, I, I did this thing working at night and working on side jobs. Man, I burned out. I hit a, I, I hit a, I hit a spot and I was just like, oh, man, I need to. And I did. Yep. I just, I just, just, it just, it was like a light switch. It was like done with side work, done mm-hmm. with that sort of, you know, and I became like what you said. It Work got done. I'm done wrenching. 
Yeah, that's it. Yep. If I had to fix something on one of my cars because it was broken, I would do it. But yeah, I'm not the guy that's out there tearing my engine apart just because I want to because it's cool. Nope. <laughs> but it, it, yeah, I, I you know I, I know a guy, a real close friend of mine, that he is like that still. Like we're the same age, we went to the same tech school. And you know, he's still full-time mechanic and he goes home and he wants to work on that stuff. So I, I just, I'm impressed. It blows wow. me away uh, that he's, he's really got it. It's, it is oil is in his blood, right? <laughs> probably legitimately, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to wonder <laughs> not for, not for me, I love cars and I like do the, the diagnostics, but yeah, that's, yeah. I kind of, that's what led me to identifix was I, I liked the, I like doing the work that didn't pay very well. I guess that's kind of how I always figured out where I want. And I was like, everyone's like, Oh, I can't wait to do CV boots and brakes. I'm like, oh, really? Yeah. Uh, uh, come on, man. We've only done that like a bazillion times. Oh, it was uh-huh. gravy. I'm like, yeah, I, I just, you know, you just, it, it, it did that kind of work got really mundane. Well, that that's the thing is once it gets gravy or too easy and yes, money is nice. Don't get me wrong. Uh, yeah. An easy set of ball joints was great, but once it gets too easy, that's I, I, that's part of what lessens the passion for me, yes. right? I almost want to be challenged by something. I should be sure. careful what I say because I'll I'll get just three ass kickers tomorrow. But <laughs> I I I almost want it to be a little bit of a struggle. It's just you know you got to go to work every day for something mm-hmm. and that's that hill you have to climb to get to get to the top and figure it out it, it's really satisfying and i've done it enough times to recognize that okay it's very yeah. satisfying to do this so i almost want to seek that out so of course diagnostics on modern vehicles is a great way to challenge yourself and get your dude, ass kicked but <laughs> dude, uh, you're not kidding man that was the most difficult job ever I mean, it was it was the most um it was probably the one job that I missed the most is being on the phones. Really. Mm-hmm. I mean, of all the things I've done in my career and I like this job, this is cool. It's just, it, it's cool in a different way. Uh-huh. So it's different working with developers and applications. And it's like, you can help shape some of the products and things that are going to help, which is great. It's just different, but yeah, I mean, of all jobs I've ever missed, that would be the one because it was, it was always exciting it was never it was there was never a moment where you felt like it was gravy you get an occasional <laughs> right. gravy call here gravy kind of well gravy i mean it would be a call that you knew okay i know what this is uh-huh. because i've seen it before and you know and the archiving system sometimes it's it there's a delay right so when the first call comes in by the time you get to the second or third call and you start to see a pattern and you write an archive by the time it gets through the system and filtered and gets out onto the site and eventually gets and so there's a there's sort of a a delay period. So it just just the way the system works, right? So you, uh-huh. you, you take calls, the repairer gets processed, it winds up eventually into your archiving bucket, you pull it out, you eventually author it, bam, and then maybe it doesn't get a confirmed fix and it it might take a month or so. So so you see those calls would I guess I guess they would be gravy because okay, I've di- I've diagnosed this before. And then yeah. what would happen is once it got onto the archive got on the site, then those calls would just sort of drop off and then there'd be new calls of new stuff. So it was pretty it was always pretty exciting. Yeah, but you never know when that uh, <laughs> that really oddball call is coming oh, yeah. in. It's just always around the corner. <laughs> oh yeah, there's there was plenty of calls where it was kind of like I'd have Jim Newkirk or someone helped me and be like, Hey man, 
can you can you take this for me? I'm tapped out on it. Well, I, I and I would do it out of out of respect for the person on the phone. I'm like, I I can't help. I I can't get this one. It's there's uh-huh. something I I'm missing something right or there's we're in the wrong place or whatever it was. But yeah, those those, those happen for sure. Awesome. Well, we're uh, about an hour and a half. This is uh, yeah. this is fantastic. Oh, nice. Well, I'm glad you got some good content for your. Oh, for it's your, just for, for, your, for your show. I I just and enjoyed talking with you. This is yeah. this is great. No, no, it, it is 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 cool. You have, you have good you have good questions, and uh, it's nice to it's nice to see you're in the industry because uh, you're you're someone that uh, that they need definitely definitely. I mean, there there no, I'm serious. There is a, a real need. I mean, it. From my working on the phone, I can say that probably twenty percent of the people that called in were 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 top shelf guys that didn't need assistance. They just missed one little piece, or they needed an idea. They needed to hear something, right? That a mm-hmm. guy like you. There are certain guys that, that that you could say when they called in, they had their ducks in a row. They were close. There was just one little thing missing, or they they just didn't quite get something, or there was some system that was just a little foggy, or whatever it was, right? Yeah. But for the most part, those guys knew what they were doing, and there were people that definitely needed to call in because they just they were more like repair. So you have kind of like repair-minded people, diagnostic-minded people, mm-hmm. and it's just kind of a wiring. The guy that can replace parts super fast in a way that I can't do, but can't diagnose, and then you got the mm-hmm. guys that diagnose but maybe they don't replace parts quite so fast rarely do you have both those same mindsets living in the same person because they're entirely different yep the repair mindset is get it in get it done knock (laughs) it out bam right just want to get in there and tear into it right yep the diagnostic mindset is like whoa whoa, whoa, wait 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 a second (laughs) let's get some data on this what's really going on ah come here talk to me let me see okay so you're gonna kind of slowly methodically go in Uh uh-huh try to figure out what's going on. It's just, so those phone calls were a lot different, um, but it's, it's kind of the same thing that's happened a lot as you would have the teams, you'd have the guy that kind of figured out what was wrong and you have the guy that would, could blast out parts and you'd have a person that maybe is the go between the person collecting stuff, doing stuff, getting cars, you know, lining stuff up. Right. So I I think you have Uh all this stuff going on all the time in the automotive industry. Um, and I think that the repair people need the diagnostic people more now than they did yep. 20 years ago because they could they, they could eke out some of the diagnostics back in that mindset was cars were just simple enough. They could do all the repairs and they could figure out some of the stuff. Now they're mm-hmm. not. They can still do the repairs, but now it's so complicated they can't. So I think that the same proportion exists. Just the complexity of the cars has made it so that they can't do any of that type of work anymore. They used to be able to do some of it, right? So the average yeah. mechanic could do some of the electrical diagnostics. They could do some of these things, right? They could do a, a certain percentage. The repair type people could kind of get through some of those things and not, it didn't, it didn't kick their butt too bad. Uh huh. But a car but comes yeah. in with a, with a flex ray problem on a BMW <laughs> <laughs> and, and the, the person that's the steering and suspension guy, I mean, other yeah, than calibrating yeah. the calibrating the steering angle sensor every now and then, I mean that's about as deep in as they're willing to get, right? Yep, they're not up to against knock, it. Not, not not to knock those people. It's just it's that mindset of I'm the repair guy. I can blast these jobs out. 
the, the complexity now it's they, they, they can do almost none of that type of work mm-hmm. anymore. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, there's, uh, there's some ways you can specialize now, uh, for, for each role. And, uh, obviously on the, the technical side of things, uh, you could pick a lot of different avenues to go. So oh, yeah. <laughs> like I said, there's some money to be made, lots of broken <laughs> cars. Let's just get out there and do it. Right. There, there you go, man. There you go. We all do our part. <laughs> awesome. Cool. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode. just want to give one more big thank you to Adam for joining me on the show today. I uh, enjoyed sitting down and talking with him. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed that and got something out of it as well. But uh, that's going to do it for today. Other than that, let's get out there start fixing the world one car at a time. Yeah.